and I commend you. We are going to be treating uh, this morning, what is God? And then the next two lessons after that, Mr. Snyder is going to teach, are there more gods than one and how many persons are there in the Godhead? So we are in what is um, sometimes called theology proper. Can anyone tell me what is the, what does the word theology mean? Theology. The study of God. The study of God. And theology, there's an awful lot of things that relate to God, but theology proper is that study of the nature, identity, characteristics of God. Uh, This lesson that we're going to be uh, focused on this morning is a very, very deep one. These are very deep waters. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay, so um, somebody please tell me what does it mean that God is a spirit? God is a spirit. Yeah, he is not physical. He is not physical. Uh, That's very much a part of it. Now, how do we differentiate uh, between... are, Are there any other beings that are not physical? Nina, are there any other beings or creatures that are not physical. This one's an easy one, and I'm probably stumping you by the way I'm putting it. Are there any invisible beings besides God? Yes. Angels. Um, Do they ever become visible? If if he wants them to, he gives permission. Can anyone think of a time in the Bible when unseen angels became visible? Yeah. Yes, at the Garden of Eden. The cherubim that were set to defend the way to the garden. Okay. God is a spirit. So there is a similarity. He is called the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of armies. That's a reference to his angelic armies. But what would be the difference between the angels and God? Yes, Steve. Ah, the angels are finite. Uh, Geneva, could I ask you, what does it mean to be finite? To have an end, yes, to have a, a limit. In, and that's the very next attribute or characteristic of God. God is a spirit infinite. Simeon, what do you think it means that God has no limit or no end? 
What comes to your mind? What would be a limitation that you have? Or do you have any limitations? <laughs> you can't. Ah! There's one right there. I can't think of any. I've been. Anyone, ever, anyone here ever been stumped? You have somebody single you out in front of a bunch of other people, and then they ask you a question, all of a sudden. It's just like all that information just it went it went out. Don't you love it when that happens? Don't, aren't you so thankful to the Lord for that sanctification that I can be embarrassed for just a moment because I'm really yeah, not. Sometimes we're limited in recall. That's just one of many limitations. Recall. Funny story. At least it's funny to me. I know my father-in-law can still laugh about it. But sometimes he's extra hard on himself about how as he gets older, he has a hard time remembering. And he was once telling a story that he was talking, um, he was talking about a, a driveway. But when he got to that part of the story, the word driveway escaped him. I mean, it happens... Really, it's not just a matter of age. Sometimes it can happen to anyone. The simplest, of, you, yeah, what's your name, <laughs> right? He, he just couldn't, and he was so frustrated. We are limited. Does God ever have a recall problem? God is infinite. Uh, Job eleven seven. Canst thou by searching find out God? Can you? Oh, I found the limit. Here's the limit. Can you by searching find out God? Can you find out the Almighty unto perfection? No. God is a spirit infinite. Uh, that also with respect to to space. Now this is a very you know, big, um, very big idea, very big conception. But does God does God have space? I mean, we have uh, right now. I am filling up a space. You are filling up a space. The angels are said to be near the people of God even if they don't know it. The Bible informs us that even in the worship of God, there is something of the presence of angels who desire to look into these things. But even though we can't see them, they inhabit a space. Even angels, as fast as they are, they cannot be in two places at once. They can't. Does God have space? What do you think? Ah, he did when he was Jesus. That's the mystery of godliness. Now, did he limit himself? Did he contract 
himself into that space so that inside, that's where God is, but outside he is not. No. That's, that's a part of the mystery. Right? God, uh, God is with... God, it's, it's, we do say sometimes that God is everywhere, but it's actually more proper to say that everywhere is in God. In Him we live and move and have our being. If we're going to use an analogy with respect to the immensity of God, that is the spatial limitlessness of God, okay, then it would be more like going into the ocean. Okay? Wherever I go, God is. There's no catch-up. There's no, there's no delay. God, everything, he, there is no place where he is not. He is infinite. He is eternal. Before the mountains were brought forth, Psalm 92, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Okay. Um, what does it mean that God is eternal? If I could ask you, Gabriel, what does it mean that God is eternal? He doesn't have an end. He doesn't have a beginning. Very good. He, he is... Is he present now? Yes. Was he present yesterday? Yes. Now, yesterday, for us, is forever gone. You'll never get yesterday back. And contrary to what some would say, there is no DeLorean that you can get into. If you really wanted to relive yesterday, you might say yesterday or maybe two days ago, had such a great time, I wish I could experience that again. But you'll never experience that. But God is as present yesterday. I didn't say was. I said is. God is as present yesterday, as he is today, and as he is tomorrow. He is, I am that I am. Last year, I was 44 years old. I will never be 44 again. This year, I'm just a little older Maybe one or two more wrinkles. Maybe not quite as fast. Maybe my recall. Just slipping just a little bit. I don't know. It's hard to measure these things. God is in time without being carried along by it. It's, uh, I've described it this way in the past. It's like if you step into a river, 
you're anchored outside the river, you're anchored on the shore, and you're stepping in, but you're not carried away. Now, if you step too far in, then you start end up going down river, <laughs> right? God enters into history, but he does it from being outside of time. He is unchangeable. Every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What has changed for you recently? Anyone? Something that's changed. Could be big, could be small, could be... What has changed? Is checking your account balance. (laughs) (laughs) What else? What has changed for you? Have any of you changed? Yeah. Callie, what's one way in which you have changed, you think? Your height. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a common thing that has changed. What about your personality? Does that, do you think it's possible for that to change? Maybe not, as, maybe not as easily as your height. You know, some people, it, maybe it's less common. We all have a certain temperament. But, you know, sometimes by maybe sheer will. Like some, have you ever known people, they're friendly, but when you, when you talk to them, they say, you know what, I'm kind of a shy person. I know somebody like that. In fact, to me, he kind of seems a little bit larger than life. But he actually says, believe me, this is, I kind of have to force myself against it. So we're always changing, sometimes for the better, often for the worse. The Lord doesn't change. Does that mean, if somebody were to say this, oh, my friend Frank, he's never going to change. Do you think that sounds like a good thing or a bad thing? Probably not good. Ah, Frank, again. Oh, good grief. I just never learn. And no matter how many times I talk to him, he's just never going to change. We, I hope you don't. Yes. And that is in a good way. That's true. And that can be so frustrating and disappointing that, you know, sometimes we want, we want somebody to stay the same, but, but they don't. Yeah. By saying you hope that they don't, it, it's because we know that we will. Yeah. And other people do change. It's another way of saying, I hope you were always here with me. You might say that to your wife, but normally that's not the reality. Right. Yes. Yes. Now, that God does not change. Now, these first three attributes, we've said this before, another big word, incommunicable attributes. That means cannot be shared. 
There's some things that I can give to you. There's certain things I just can't. Because you're a creature. So you cannot partake of my infinity because to be a creature is to be limited by very definition. To be a creature is to have a beginning and an end. To be a creature is, by definition, to change. You know, the change in humanity began in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, it began before the fall. There was a point in which those animals didn't have names. And then he changed, he exercised his mind, and he gave them names. And then he remembered those names that he assigned to those animals. There's constant change, constant movement. Some of it's good, some of it's not. A lot of it's not. These are attributes that are simply understood by denying certain things. God cannot change. He cannot be limited. He cannot cannot begin or end. Then there are these attributes... Um, well, there's certainly his, his being, and that's not, I'm not so sure that's understood as an attribute. Um, God doesn't have being. We have being. This is kind of some high philosophy, but bear with me. We partake of being. Before we were born, before we conceived, we had no being. At least not any actual being. Now, potentially, yes. In the mind of God, yes. But not by any necessity. God is necessary being. He is self-existent being. He is definitionally being. If we have any being, it is because he has, as a, as a fountain, flowed out of his, um, of his being and shared something of being with his creatures. <clears throat> Psalm 104. He breathes into them, they live. He takes away their breath, they die, they go to the dust. Right? And that makes God immortal, undying. Uh, He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom. Great is the Lord and of great power. His wisdom is infinite. In his holiness, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In his power, he is the almighty God. He is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all, above all that we ask or think. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his justice. And his goodness and his truth. The Lord, the Lord God, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. So every conceivable perfection. In, this is, so there are two ways of knowing, of, of describing God. There's the way of denial and there's the way of eminence. That is, we deny that he can change. We deny that he has limits. We deny that um, infinite, eternal, we, we deny that he uh, begins or ends or that he is subject to time. That's about all that we can say about they're so high. But the other attributes are attributes that we, that creatures can share in by God lending it to them. Let's put it that way. Pharaoh, I have infinite power. I lend it to you for a time. Now use it wisely and use it well. Solomon, you're a young child. I lend you wisdom out of the infinite reservoir of my wisdom. And then when he does that, the next day, there come those two prostitutes. And there's that one baby. And they're arguing. And then it's very clear. God has lent Solomon wisdom. And so we partake of these virtues only in as much as God allows us to have that. And so there is a sense in which we can think of God in terms of the perfection of creatures minus limitations and sins and then put in eminence. So, pity, classic example. Pity is a, can be a virtue, provided that it's not a false pity, but it's a good pity. To walk past um, that man who's been beaten up and left for dead on the road, that's heartless. But the Samaritan sees him, and his heart is moved with pity. Well, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Okay? Well, in the remaining time that we have, here's what I'd like to do. So we've, we've just come back to numbers in our morning uh, series. And I want us to think through how the attributes the characteristics of God are exhibited or illustrated or maybe even challenged or dishonored by sinners. So let's, let's think of the story. Where are we geographically in Numbers chapters 13 and 14? Does anyone remember? Where were the people of God? Kadesh, on the border of the the border of the promised land. So, what were they? What was the opportunity that was before them? To take possession of the promised land. 
What did they do? What did God want Israel to do before they went in? He didn't want them just to, okay, you get to Kadesh, go. But he says, wait, I want you to do something first. What did God want his people to do first? Yes, to scout the land. Now, did God know what was in that land? He most certainly did. Did they know what was in that land? No, although they had heard from God that it's a good land. Why did God... Have them scout out the land. Why? Is this what, you know, remember, at least when I was in school, did your teacher, especially substitute teacher, ever give you busy work? Oh, it's so frustrating. There's no point to this. It's just to keep us busy, something to do, something to keep us from pulling each other's, you know, hair out or, you know, It wasn't busy work, was it? It wasn't pointless exercise. What was the point? Yes. To learn. Yeah. Um, Have you, like in maybe a science class, your teacher, could be your mother, or maybe at the co-op you go to, whatever, They know what's going to happen when you take these two fluids and you mix them together. They know what's going to happen, right? Now, you've been told maybe what's going to happen, but they want you to see it for yourself. So why does God want his people to see Canaan for itself before they go in? Yes. So they can prepare for what's ahead of them. What attribute of God does that illustrate? And it could be more than one. Uh, Omniscience. Omniscience. Absolutely. What else? Yes, he knows, there's his omniscience, he knows he's made these people, he knows how they tick. He made them with minds, you don't go do risky things without some reasonable expectation that the benefits outweigh the risks, right? And then he made us with these two things, And with these two things, and with these, and with these, he's he knows, he knows that if they're going to do this, they need some kind of encouragement that can only come by some kind of reconnaissance going in. And then they bring back the grapes. That's something of the goodness of God. And then the knowledge, think about this. (laughs) Those grapes 
um, theoretically, for all the Israelites know, those grapes could have been got in Moab. They went, no, we're just going to go to Moab. We'll get some grapes over there, right? But God says, well, they need enough witnesses because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Do you believe things that are very important based on one person's word alone? No. Twelve witnesses. This is goodness and it's wisdom, isn't it? And God knows his infinite understanding. He knows that this is how they're going to, how they're going to believe and how they're going to be encouraged. Okay, so, um, do all of the spies say the same thing when they come back after 40 days? Do all the spies say the same thing? So how, how do they differ, Annie? Most of them are pessimistic. Most of them are pessimistic. Yes. What do those ten spies imply about God? Yes. That's a contradiction of his goodness. Or, you know, if, if, if somebody hasn't prepared, that certainly shows that they're not wise. You know, we, we, uh, when we considered today, uh, the next day, okay, so everyone has had about 12 extra hours to let this all sink in. And what do they do all night? Do they recall to mind the promises of God and the great deeds that they have seen and that Joshua and Caleb, they're godly, virtuous men, we should believe them? What do they do all night? They cry. Did they need to cry? Does anyone like crying? Now, maybe you get a little bit of a catharsis afterwards, but (laughs) it's it's not something you usually want to do. They didn't believe God. And they were insulting God. They were limiting God. Weren't they limiting? How were they limiting God, the infinite God? What, get, what, according to them, at least by implication, cannot God do? He can't do... Yeah. Now, what actually happened in history with the walls of one of their major Canaanite cities? You know, walls are... That's pretty impressive. At least in the ancient world, you didn't get through into cities because of these big walls. Yes? Exactly. Now, do you remember, Simeon, did, did the Israelites, did they have like these big catapults 
you know, with these massive boulders and they pull it all down and then, you know, cut it and then the, and they just, and they're working hard. How do the walls come down? Does it take you a whole lot of effort to walk? No. Now, maybe if your parents make you do a long walk or something, that can kind of be a drag. But, you know, <laughs> I've told this story before. Uh, so John and Phyllis with, with, uh, with Jacob and Joel are at our house. This is when we first lived in Rhode Island before we had any kids. And those two guys, they're just sharp, sharp tacks. Elder Humphrey is talking about how he loves to run, and he loves to run when it's really hot. And I can't remember which one said this. He said, why run when you can walk? And the other one, without missing a, a hitch, he said, why walk when you can sit? And it was just, <laughs> I was just amazed at, at the cleverness. Well, Compared to a lot of other activities, walking is pretty easy. Okay? It's pretty easy. Now, if they could have seen that, would they have limited God? And does God, you know, does the great God of the Red Sea, does he lose something of his edge? You know, that's how it happens with us. Maybe you're this, this great athlete in high school. You've got the varsity jacket, you know, and all the girls are swooning for you. You think you're something special, and then 25 years later, you've got a gut. You don't have as much hair. It's, that's just the way it is. Now, creatures change. Can the God of the Red Sea, has he lost something at Kadesh? So that the people say, oh, well, he may have been very powerful back then, but of course not. So God, he manifests these perfections, these attributes. We are to see them through his word, also through nature, we are to believe, we are to worship, and we are in no way, either by our thinking, our words, or our actions, to dishonor him. And just think through even the implications of some of our things that we think, like I get so worried. God's not going to be able to come through for... Well, you don't say it in so many words, but that's what you're thinking. Or he, he didn't plan well enough. We may not say it, it. We may not think it, at least in a very clear and conscious way, but isn't that what's going on inside? Did God need some help? That's grossly dishonoring to him. God calls upon us to believe. This is... um, uh, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God is the rewarder 
of those that diligently seek him. We must, he that comes to God must believe that he is. Believe that he is and is who he says he is. Let's close in prayer. Please stand. Lord, we uh, confess that we have not rendered to thee the glory due to thy name. Oh God, forgive us and grant that thou would renew within us a holy awe and admiration of thy uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being and all the perfections uh, that shine from thee. Hear us, Lord, and grant us now thy blessing as we depart from this place. Through Christ, amen.